Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We begin in San Diego. During a special meeting yesterday, San Diego City Council approved moving forward with a COVID vaccine mandate for municipal employees. City workers will have to show proof of full vaccination or request a medical or religious exemption by tomorrow. Those who don't will have 30 days to comply or face possible termination. Here's San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria speaking after yesterday's to one vote in favor of the mandate. What we know is that there have been operational impacts to date. Those of you that watched the testimony this morning, I shared the number of missed trash collections, the two police academies that were suspended, the fire academy that was suspended, the number of times that we've had to have operational changes to our fire rescue response because we had over 30 firefighters quarantining at a particular time. The list goes on and on. We are being impacted today, and that's why this action was so very necessary. And so I want San Diegans to be able to interact with its city workforce with confidence. That when you call 911, you understand that the individual who's responding to your call will have been vaccinated against COVID-19. Nearly 1,300 San Diego City employees have been infected with COVID-19. And according to city officials, lost work time due to sick days related to the virus has totaled more than $3 million over the past year. The greatest opposition to the mandate has come from the union representing San Diego police officers. It was the only employee union to reach an impasse with the city during negotiations. Police union leaders say the city could lose officers because of the mandate. And staying on the topic of vaccine mandates in San Diego, a temporary injunction stopping the San Diego Unified School District's vaccine mandate for students could be lifted as early as today. A federal appeals court granted the injunction on Sunday. With more background, here's KPBS reporter M.G. Perez. The injunction was granted on behalf of a Scripps Ranch High School student claiming a religious exemption, which the district does not allow. The critical component of the injunction had to do with the assumption that the district was allowing vaccine deferrals for pregnant students. To paraphrase the legal language, the court said as long as those students aren't required to get COVID-19 shots, the plaintiffs shouldn't be required either. And the court will terminate the injunction if that option is removed. Mark Breeze, an attorney handling the case for the San Diego Unified School District, says the district has already taken action to remove the pregnancy deferral option and thus expects the injunction to be terminated soon. Meanwhile, today's the deadline for Sacramento City Unified School District students who are 12 and older and school staff to submit proof that they've received at least their first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Those who don't comply will have to get a COVID test at least once a week. Starting on January 31st, eligible students who are unvaccinated and have not submitted proof of vaccination or a valid exemption will be moved to remote learning as part of the district's independent study program. The district has said it may also take disciplinary reaction against unvaccinated staff, but it's unclear what that might entail. Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Did you ever wonder... What it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. 
or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And it's still not too late to apply to UC and Cal State schools for next fall. But tick-tock, you'd better get moving because today's the deadline. From L.A., KCRW's Tara Atrian has more. The bell is ringing for Golden State students to get their applications in for the 2022 to 2023 school year. The University of California and Cal State systems are asking most seniors to upload their final documents by November 30th. The deadlines come during a pivotal moment for higher education in California. After nearly two years of disrupted learning, students who start next fall may be the first to experience a non-hybrid school year. And freshmen applying to the UC system are no longer required to submit their SAT or ACT scores to qualify. Meanwhile, last year there was a record number of applications to the UCs, including large surges in Black, Latino, and other underserved students hoping for a spot. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrion in Los Angeles. The U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear oral arguments this week in a case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. That's the 1973 ruling that affirms a woman's constitutional right to receive an abortion. Now, should Roe be overturned, abortion advocates are preparing for a surge in out-of-state patients traveling to California for the procedure. KQED's Katie Orr looks at whether the state is prepared. The case before the court considers whether a Mississippi state ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy is constitutional. The court's ultimate decision could undercut Roe v. Wade, which does not allow bans on abortions before a fetus is deemed viable, usually around 24 weeks. Shannon Olivieri Hovis is the director of NARAL Pro-Choice California. She says there will be national implications if the conservative-leaning court sides with Mississippi. We estimate that 26 states will outlaw abortion entirely or almost entirely. And if 26 states outlaw abortion, millions upon millions of women and pregnant people across this country will not have access to care. Because of its liberal abortion laws, California would likely become a destination for people prevented from getting abortions in their home states. Olivieri Hovis says California is largely prepared, but has some challenges. For instance, she says the state does allow for a wider range of health professionals to provide abortion care. But in order to actually be able to make that practicable, they have to get adequate training, and they have to have adequate clinical experience. They also have to work in a facility that allows them to provide that care. And that's not always the case. To address issues like that, the state has set up the Future of Abortion Council, which will identify barriers to care and recommend solutions. Jessica Pinckney is the executive director of Access Reproductive Justice, a nonprofit that helps people access abortion services and is a council member. California is really making strides to kind of shore up our abortion access here in the state and make sure that the folks in California and those who would be coming to California can access the abortion care they need. A recent study found if Roe versus Wade is overturned, California could see a nearly 3,000 percent increase in the number of women of reproductive age who would travel to the state for an abortion. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh is visiting the Port of Los Angeles today. He'll update local officials on the Biden administration's efforts to ease supply chain problems. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi says this comes as work continues to clear the backlog of cargo ships at Southern California ports. Naval Base Ventura County is teaming up with the Port of Wainimi to help alleviate that congestion by activating an old joint-use agreement. The agreement allows the Navy Wharf to be used for commercial ships. That's wharf space that is normally used to tie up warships. Meanwhile, the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach have further delayed a proposed fee for ship operators who leave containers at the terminals for too long. That fee was approved a month ago, but since then, the ports have seen a significant decline in cargo sitting on the docks. And in Oakland, the port saw a 20% decline in cargo volume in October compared to last year. The reason? Officials say instead of heading to Oakland, ships have been going directly back to Asia after dropping off cargo in Los Angeles and Long Beach. But that's already starting to turn around with an increase in ships docking in Oakland recently. And that's a trend officials say is expected to continue through the end of the year. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. Fisheries will be allowed to reopen later today along a 45-mile stretch of Orange County's coastline. They were shut down for nearly two months following the oil spill off the coast of Huntington Beach. Officials with the State Department of Fish and Wildlife say seafood in the area has been tested for chemicals and has been deemed safe to eat. Fishing in the area has been prohibited since October 3rd from Huntington Beach to Dana Point following the spill. The ban was expanded a few days later to include all bays and harbors from Seal Beach to San Onofre State Beach. Investigators still have not determined the exact cause of the oil spill, but believe it was likely due to an anchor strike from a ship in the area. And turning to politics, in a rare move, Governor Gavin Newsom has appointed a sitting state lawmaker to fill the vacancy of a retiring judge. Southern California Assemblyman Ed Chow, who represents the San Gabriel Valley, has been chosen as a replacement for Los Angeles County Superior Court Judge Robert Perry. Chow would have been termed out of the Assembly in 2024, but leaving office early will trigger a special election for his seat. The date of that election has not been announced yet, but potential replacements have already filed to run. Ranger Adam Ramsey, the supervisor for Wawona District Interpretation, was one of the researchers who poured over archives in Yosemite's library to find names and dates connected to the Chinese Laundry Building. So the first thing that people see when they walk in um, are these first exhibits here. Inside are exhibits and some artifacts detailing the early history of Chinese immigrants in Yosemite. The building was originally constructed as a laundry facility for the Wawona Hotel. The laundry operated from 1918 to the early 1930s. The people who worked here were primarily Chinese immigrants who came to California during the gold rush. The building itself has been restored and was just rededicated and unveiled in October. Ramsey says the goal when it reopens in April is to recreate the interior to look like a laundry facility from the time period. Many of the details came from a member of the Washburn family who established the Wobona community. The family hired mostly Chinese immigrants, and the daughter of the hotel owner, Wobona Washburn, kept detailed journals. First-hand accounts of what it was like in this building. Uh, Wobona Washburn very specifically writing that she watched them um, taking 
irons off of a wood-burning stove and using them to iron clothes and sheets. Those very same stoves are still here, but looking much different. You can see they're in kind of a rough state. Um, they were sitting outside for decades. Ramsey believes the stoves may have been outside for as long as 80 years. The stoves will be restored as part of next year's project. In another corner of the exhibit, a large and sturdy wooden handcart is sectioned off. Ramsey says it's an example of what many Chinese immigrants used to build some of Yosemite's main roads. The whole route between here and uh, Yosemite Valley is just this really improbable, twisty, turvy road. Ramsey says these workers built the road during the winter using blasting powder and hand tools such as pickaxes and shovels and finished it in just four and a half months. The speed at which they pulled it off, I think, is a real testament to the skill of the workers who, who, who did this. Honoring memories was the driving force that helped fund this history project. 86-year-old Sandra Yi and her husband donated the first pot of money that was used to start the project. I just feel so great to be part of that. Yi recalled her family's deep history with Yosemite. Her parents were Chinese immigrants who ran a small grocery business in Alameda during the Great Depression. Yi says after saving up enough money to take her first family vacation, her father decided to go to Yosemite. He just was blown away by how majestic and how magnificent Yosemite was. Yi says her dad eventually saved enough money to buy a small cabin in Yosemite, and the laundry building was something she always passed by. There was this building that was completely neglected at the beginning of the road, and we were told them that it was a Chinese laundry. A Chinese laundry with stories that are now coming back to life, thanks to the effort and donations from people like Yi. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. And that's this edition of the California Report for Tuesday, November 30th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great morning. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.